Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story. With your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle podcast. Today I am joined with another very special guest, Dr. Lindsay Harper. She is the clinical assistant professor at Texas A&M, an attending physician at Baylor Scott and White Health, and she is also the founder and CEO of Rosie, which is an app she's been working on. So I'm excited to have her on as a guest and learn more about what she's doing in this field. So with that being said, Lindsay, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Rodney. No problem. So why don't we just get right into it? Why don't you just give a little bit of background of who you are and how you got to where you're at right now? Yeah. So I, you know, thought that I would always be a doctor. I thought that was going to be my life's work. And so went along that very traditional path, which is just, you know, took Latin in high school <laughs> and um, then college. And I was, a, I was a microbiology major and then medical school and then straight into residency and then into private practice. And it was very straightforward, very planned out, which is definitely my personality. And then I married my husband when I was in residency. He's just a natural born entrepreneur and he started lots of companies. And um, you know, his messaging, his, his little worm got into my brain and told me just to always look around for problems that needed solving and things that, you know, specifically that I had the background or the capability to really make a difference. And so, you know, I would go throughout life thinking about these things and I've, I ended up having having lots of ideas. But when I was in practice, you know, my patients really needed help with sexual health. I thought that I was pretty good at helping them with pregnancy and menopause and surgery and even sometimes cancer, but they needed help with sexual problems. And I hadn't been trained in that area and didn't know how to help them. And so I thought, well, weird, maybe this is a me issue. Maybe it's my problem. And I missed, I had a baby in residency. Maybe I missed that rotation, or maybe I just have all these patients that need sexual help, but most people don't. But in fact, I found that neither of those were true. It's actually in residency. Most most uh, doctors don't get trained for women's sexual health. And 38% of women have low sexual desire and 49% of women have some sexual health problem. So there's a huge discrepancy between what doctors are trained to do and, and how to help their patients and the number of women that need our help. And so that's where I figured out my opportunity was. And so that's how I you know came from being a full-time practicing doctor to now starting Rosie and really being so passionate about providing women with resources for sexual health. Nice. So it's really, you just bridge the gap from what you already know and how you are serving your community. But in doing so, your community was giving you feedback like, hey, this is how you're helping us, but this is what we really want you to help us with. And so you went and sort of bridged that gap, like I said, on how you can figure out a way to be able to help them. And so you went and created this app. Um, so can you kind of describe a little bit more about the app and what that does for yeah. you? Yeah. So, you know, my vision for Rosie has always been to, number one, provide doctors and other providers with a resource to easily tell their patients about. So instead of telling your patient, oh, go Google this or go watch this on YouTube to say, you know, hey, Rosie is sort of the brand 
where you want to go to find this information because it's all legitimate. It's all made by experts and it's been vetted, you know, so to have an easy sort of pass off for providers so that they could not only know that their patients were getting good help, but also know that if their patient found something that she needed help with, that she could circle back to them. So that was the first sort of thing that I wanted to accomplish was to offer a real resource to doctors. And the second thing was to be the conduit between patients and all of these resources. So it's not that we're making all of this stuff up. We're just putting it all in one place and vetting it so that women know that when they come to Rosie, that they have access to high quality information. So, you know, we were trying to think what's the best way to do this. And we decided to do it in a mobile platform because it's very private. Nobody has to know what you're doing on your phone. You could be on Instagram or you could be on Rosie. Nobody's ever going to know the difference. And you can watch and interact with the content in very small bite-sized pieces. So, you know, the last thing I'm overwhelmed by the idea of spending two or three hours doing something else in a day, like I've got maybe five minutes I could spend, but certainly not you know, an hour. And so it was the idea in the, in the user design that they could come to Rosie, get what they needed in the moment. Maybe it's a piece of education. Maybe it's a, you know, reading an erotic story. Maybe it's learning something new about their sexual health, but then they can just, you know, they can come and go from it as they please. It's not asking too much of them and they're already overcrowded and overdone days. So that's really how we decided on a mobile platform. And we picked the evidence-based interventions for sexual health, specifically low desire and included them on this, on that platform platform. So that's how we got to that specific intervention. Nice. So you realized that there was really a, an education gap, a knowledge gap. So you created the platform to provide all this knowledge, whether it's through stories or articles. And instead of just creating everything from scratch, you kind of went out and picked the top quality data, so to say, and created like an aggregated network for people to come and learn from it. Well, we have created a lot of our own content. Actually, all the content is ours, but we created it from that top quality data, if that makes sense. So it's a bunch of videos that are Rosie created and Rosie owned, but it's based on, you know, scientific studies and the latest research presentations. Okay, awesome. And so you said the app, the mobile platform was made by a team of experts. So can you talk about how you were able to put together this team and who you had to go out and reach out to because your background is in healthcare, but you had to leverage technology, hence health tech. So how did, were you able to bridge that gap and bring on this team? Yeah. So it's really an interesting story. I think that at the beginning, you know, when you have something new in your mind, especially in a topic like sexual health, people are a little eyebrow raised. Like what in the world is this crazy doctor from Dallas wanting to do? And so, you know, there's two, I guess, types of experts that we're talking about. The first are the healthcare experts. And so a lot of the original content is me, honestly, because I knew what I wanted in my mind, but to other people, they needed to kind of see it first. But once they did see it, the people that are in this space, if physicians, psychologists, physical therapists are really passionate about sexual health and they love the fact that there is a resource or a platform available to sort of showcase their work. So since we've been published and out in the market, then these people have really come to us, honestly, because they want a place to get the word out. So I'm thrilled about those types of experts and how they've been able to come to us once we were able to kind of show them what we were doing. Now on the technology side, my husband keeps playing an important part in this story and I guess that's going to continue to be true. But he started a technology company about 10 and a half years ago with his co-founder and they do consulting for other companies. 
companies. So they, they do cons- big consulting projects, but they also have a labs component where they have people inside of their company because there's a bunch of creatives, a bunch of engineers um, have their own ideas. And so they can present to the company. And then if the company decides, they can put their resources towards that in an incubator type model. And so that's what they did for Rosie as well. So this company called Dialexa incubated Rosie and got us to market through engineering, through design, through some marketing resources. With that MVP product, we were able to fundraise. And now Rosie, we have our own our own internal team. So it's been a very exciting journey. Awesome. Awesome. So pretty much you leveraged the power of your husband and his resources to help connect you with a larger resource to actually help get your product out there. Because um, you had the knowledge, you've had the experience from the healthcare side but you just needed to get additional resources from technology, from people who understand how to grow a business. So that's interesting. So how were you able to, can you kind of speak on some strategies that you guys use to actually get your product out to the market and get it to the people that you really wanted to serve out to the community? Absolutely. Yeah. Our go-to-market strategy was, you know, we wanted this to be in front of women in the hands of the women that needed it. I didn't think that, you know, the, I think that I still believe firmly that direct to consumer is the best role for Rosie because there's so many people that never talk about this at all, right? They're never going to talk about it to their friends. They're never going to talk about it to their doctors or, you know, anybody in their life. And so I think that if we have the opportunity to intervene in, in the most private sort of format, which to me is, mobile, then that's where we're going to reach the most women. But we did have to figure out how to get there, right? You can't launch to market or the best way maybe to launch into market as as a new tech company is not, you know, Instagram ads right off the bat before you have any brand recognition. So we decided that because we were solving a problem really for two groups of people, number one, were the actual women themselves. And number two, were the physicians and the other healthcare providers that were caring for them, that we would just simply get the word out to those providers. Because as in my own experience, I knew that doctors didn't want to spend time on these issues. We've got 15 minute visits with our patients and we've got a lot of stuff to do in that 15 minutes. We've got to, you know, do a breast exam. We've got to do a pelvic exam and a pap smear. We've got to scream for depression, domestic violence, all the, you know, all of these things that we've got to do, not to mention something that feels overwhelming, like, like sexual health or sexual dysfunction. So we told healthcare providers that we existed and then sent them patient cards in the mail. And then if their patient had a concern, then they could refer their patient to Rosie. And that was actually a really successful channel for us. In the first year, we were able to sign up 2,600 physicians and other healthcare providers into the Rosie sort of program, which just means that they're sharing Rosie resources with their patients. We don't have any financial relationship with these doctors, but they know that Rosie was made by doctors and psychologists and other experts in the field of sexual health. And so they're thrilled really to have a resource for referral to the patient. So that's how we went to market. And it was a really successful strategy for us. Oh, that's interesting. And then you guys provide valuable content, then it gives the referring providers or doctors more incentives to actually want to promote your guys' platform because it's valuable it's a valuable resource to their community. So when you guys were reaching out to the doctors, were they considered your beta testers and they were giving you feedback or was it the actual consumers coming onto your platform that was giving you feedback to kind of tweak your platform and make it a little bit better as you? Yeah. I mean, anybody who wants to test for me, I'm always 
open, open the doors. I mean, we are testing always. We're testing right now. You know, there's the testing never ends. And that feedback comes from everybody. That feedback comes from actual users. It comes from healthcare providers. It comes from media, you know, it comes from everywhere. And so we're, that phase of us is never over. So there, there was a certain beta phase, but we definitely had different groups of beta testers, including users and including healthcare providers. And there was, you know, we're always taking in that input because it's so important to who we are. We don't exist if we're not providing value. Like that's our, that's what we have to do is we have to provide value to the healthcare teams that are recommending us. And we have to provide value to the women that are using us. And so without that input, I mean, we're, we don't really have anything to offer. So yeah, we, we beta test and continue to user test anybody, anybody who'll do it for us. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so how many people do you have on your team currently working on Rosie? You know, we were a team of four until about three weeks ago, and then we onboarded a new. So now we have a team of five, which is great. Yeah, we're super excited. We're all women, and we work in out of Dallas, Texas. And now we're all, of course, remote due to everything that's going on, which has been a new exercise for us. But I think one we are, you know, really excited about because as you know, as companies grow and the future of work is discussed, I think work, working virtually is always something that is on people's radar. And so it's a fun experimental time for us to get those processes down and maybe allow more flexibility in the future. But we also love being together and, you know, and that camaraderie and that sense of team and culture that comes from being in the same physical workspace. Awesome. So you have, you have a pretty small team. So I'm assuming you have to wear many hats in your business yeah. <laughs> right now to make sure that everything is going smoothly. And so how are you able to like I said, wear many hats, but still be as productive as you are and identifying what areas that you're good at and what areas that you're not so good at and knowing when to delegate responsibility. You know, I mean, I was a team, so I had this Dialexa team, but they rolled off of the product after about three months after we launched. And then there was a pretty big gap where it was, literally it was just me. So when I hired my first employee, I'm like, oh, this is dreamy. So a team of five to me is like amazing, right? Because I'm, I am getting to delegate a ton of stuff, way more than I did in the beginning. And so much more is getting done at such a higher quality pace. But I don't know. I think that it just becomes really obvious. I've discovered many things in this new role that I didn't know that I loved. Like I love public speaking. I'm super passionate about this topic. And so that's something that I have really enjoyed. I also really didn't mind fundraising. So that also was something that I was, I, who would have ever thought that that would be something I would enjoy, but I did. Um, I there are some things that I don't love and that I'm not good at. And you can tell that by the amount of times I put them off, you know, like how much I'm procrastinating doing it. And so those are the things, and I haven't been able to pass all of those off. I mean, there's not, you know, obviously there's not enough team members, but so I have to continue to do the things that I'm good at and maybe don't love and pass the things off that I'm bad at and maybe could be a detriment to the team. So clearly I'm not going to do any of my own engineering and I'm definitely not a designer, right? So I have a designer who's amazing and makes everything beautiful and I'm much more practical. She's much, you know, really great at making things very usable and beautiful. Awesome. We have a marketing person who has some experience in marketing and who's very tactical and organized. And then we, the new hire that we just onboarded is customer success. So she's diving in a lot to the user journey and the data and analytics around what the users are experiencing. So it's just such a relief to have somebody dedicated to be paying attention to those things, even though I've been eating and breathing and sleeping that for the last, I don't know, 18 months. But it's everybody that we add to the team brings a new layer of expertise and dedication and really just brings me a sense of 
expansion and how big we can possibly be and how deep we can go and how meaningful, you know, of an experience we can create. Awesome. So by bringing on the team, delegating the work that, you know, can be performed at a higher quality level by someone else, you are bringing on people that are working on your business or working in your business so that you could focus on working on your business and thinking of the high level strategies and how you can grow and how you can expand, like you had mentioned. Totally. And at this point with the team so small, I mean, we all do those things together. You know what I mean? Like they, we all have a lot of say, and and I love that because I might think that I have a great idea, but, but other people have so much to add to that and so much complexity and richness. So it's really a team effort on all levels for sure. Awesome. And then you also mentioned that majority of your work is now remote work and like communicating with the team and whatnot. So my question would be, what sort of tools or tech stack are you using to communicate with your team and just keep your business organized while you're all working from home? Yeah, you know, this is always, we've always used the same tools that we're using now. I'd say maybe the only new one is Zoom. We, I mean, but we had to use that in the past when people were, you know, out of the office or whatever. So we're using that a lot more, but we still are, I mean, we obviously communicate a lot in email. We have Slack. Um, I don't love Slack because it's really noisy when you have a lot of people talking in Slack and I can't, like that's my, that doesn't work well for my brain. So I always tell my team, like, if you've got something you need me to do, like an action item, definitely send it to me in an email because I have like a process for email that has to be cleared out. And usually things don't get missed in email. Sometimes they do, but not normally. Slack, forget about it. Like lots of things get missed. If you want to just have a little side combo, fine. But otherwise, no. We even have calls in Slack though. We've been having some trouble with our Zoom calls. So our Slack calls have been going a little bit more smoothly. And then we use Dropbox Paper for like our collaboration documents. And then I use Google Drive for organization of documents. But yeah, I mean, it's not vastly different than it was before. We just have to be a little bit more organized and intentional about team time. So like, you know, normally if we're all sitting together and like somebody has an idea, we might just have a really quick like one-off conversation about that. We don't have the opportunity to do that now. So we have to be really intentional about staying connected. So we have, you know, standups every day where we try to, you know, stay connected. And, you know, the teams are really, we've been trying to focus on picking up the phone or having a really quick video chat, because I think a lot of things can get lost over text and Slack and emails, especially tone of voice and, you know, intention of the message. So, I mean, I think fostering as much of that in-person communication as possible is going to be hopefully one of the keys to our success. Oh, okay. Interesting. Thanks for the insights. <laughs> so yeah. I kind of, uh, switch gears just a little bit to talk more about your journey as an entrepreneur, because obviously you're a doctor, you've earned, you've achieved that status, that prestige, and you were dealing with the people that you wanted to serve, you wanted to help. But along the way, you identified a problem and didn't see a solution that you felt comfortable with. So you went out and created it on your own. But a lot of people who are in your position, they're afraid to take that risk or afraid to take that step. So can you kind of speak on what it was that pushed you over to ed- over the edge and actually made you want to yeah. take that action? Yeah, it's so funny. I had this idea for Rosie and I really, it was it was really a struggle for me to decide whether to leave. And really because of two reasons, I seriously love my patients still to this day, like have such a true connection with them that I will always feel. And I also loved my partners and my medical practice. They were such wonderful supporters. I always wanted to join that practice. And then I had that opportunity 
right out of residency. And that was such a gift. And so I felt really guilty about leaving all those people that I truly loved. And, and in some ways saying, oh, this isn't enough. Like this isn't like I have all of these, this wonderful setup, but this isn't it. And so that really was hard for me. But the thing that was able where I was able to make the decision was that I had this idea for Rosie. I presented it to Dialexa, my husband's company that, and his co-founder's company, they were working on the project. And I was like, I don't know, like, am I really going to have to leave? And they were like, if you want to do this, then yes. Otherwise we can have someone else run this company. And I was like, Oh, (laughs) wait a minute. That's not a thing. Like (laughs) no one else is running this company. And so that really did it for me. That was the decision point. It's like, Oh, well, if it's not going to be me, then it's going to be somebody else. And that's never going to work for me. Like, it's almost like if someone were to ask me, you know, to like give them one of my kids, I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. Like, this is mine. And I'm going to, if I'm going to mess it up, then it's going to be me. You know, I'm not going to watch somebody else do it. And I really feel like that that's what tipped me over the edge was that decision. Actually, it's pretty funny. So just to clarify, you completely left your practice as a doctor to work on this. So I still practice as a hospitalist at Baylor, Scott and White here in Dallas. And that allows me just a lot more flexibility because it's a shift. And so when I leave the hospital, I leave the hospital. I'm not going in in the middle of the night for deliveries anymore unless I'm like scheduled for that shift. So it allows for a lot more separation rather than me carrying a pager and being on call all the time and stuff like that. So I still am practicing, just not as much and in a different way. Okay. What would you say would have been one of your biggest obstacles, whether it's transitioning from a doctor and employee to a full entrepreneur or just actually growing that company from the ground up? So what kind of obstacles and challenges have you faced in your journey? Oh man, I think, you know, it feels really overwhelming, especially when you're starting from scratch and you're like, what is even happening? And people are a lot of, you know, sometimes people will say, oh my gosh, congratulations. You've just done so much. Everything's looking so great. And I'm like, I feel like literally I've done 1% of the work necessary to get where I want to go. You know, like I honestly feel like we have not even begun to get started. And so that amount of internal expectation and pressure can feel quite overwhelming, especially when you have no idea what in the hell you are doing, right? You're like, okay, I've got to like, what run a tech company and like start a new business. And I mean, all this stuff. And you're talking about things, but you don't even know what the words are meaning at first. There's a lot of that. And so for me, I really cling to being prepared. That's I'm like a firstborn daughter, right? I'm a physician. Like I love preparation, But that was not a thing here. I had to just dive in. I had to say, okay, I'm doing this and then actually do it. And I wanted so badly to get an MBA or like something, like something to help me, but there just wasn't time clearly. And so it's just on the job and you have to have this huge mind shift from an external sort of validation of what you're doing to like feeling it within yourself. Like, I really feel like this is the next best step. Let's go. And so for me, that's been the biggest change is using external things to help bolster my level of confidence and instead starting to trust my own intuition, starting to really take ownership of leading, leading my team and of leading this company. Whereas at the beginning I was, there was, you know, the ground was really shaky and I really didn't have a good sense of confidence that I was, I could be the one to do this. So how much of your decisions do you think were made based off instinct rather than actual knowledge, especially in the beginning? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have to tell you that honestly, that's the way that my brain and my heart and my decision-making works. 
I do, I am a, an intellectual person. Like I think a lot. So I don't want to say that there's no like fact finding involved, but in this process, you know, I know the women, I think I know the women that we're talking to because they're my patients. They're my friends. They're my family. They're me. They're, you know, I know these people. And so when it comes to messaging or when it comes to product decisions, I really feel very connected to the user. And so, you know, while I might not have a big data set or a big user study to say, oh, you know, however, the majority of women said to make this product decision, I can feel because I do feel very tied to the user, what I think that that might be. And so I do let that intuition guide me, not only in product decisions, but also in communications with you know, other providers with, with media and with my team. So I am a very, I guess, a balanced person between this IQ and EQ, I hope. And whether that's for the better or worse, I'm not sure, but that is definitely my style. Ah, okay. Interesting. I like it. I like it. And so what sort of advice would you have for other, whether you're a healthcare professional or a technologist trying to get into the health tech sector, creating a technology for healthcare, what sort of advice would you have for people in that coming into this field. Yeah. I would just say to plug in as much as you can. I mean, there's great resources of communities kind of building up around this podcast like this. There's a group in Dallas called Health Wildcatters. I'm sure that there's other health incubators around cities in the United States. There's Rock Health, who really they promote a bunch of digital health. So I would say to get plugged in and start to just talk to people around you. You know, there have been hackathons where people come together on the healthcare side and the technology side where you say, oh, these are the problems. And then, you know, you try to ideate on the solutions. I think that health tech is a really exciting space. And it's an a lot of it's being uncovered right now during this pandemic that is ripe for buzzword disruption. But it's true, right? Health healthcare really lags and there's so much opportunity to bridge this gap between the old ways of doing things and what people who are consumers slash patients expect. And so that whole sort of gap between the way we operate now and the way that that users or, or consumers or patients expect us to operate is vast. And there's a lot of opportunity in the between those two endpoints. Yeah, that's interesting that like healthcare, they always have the most advanced medicine and cool technology, for example, like an MRI machine that I work on. But at the same time, they're so slow to adopt new technologies and push it out to people. And so it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's this balance between practicing responsibly, right? And I'm 100% on board with that. We definitely don't want to be just like spurting out the latest and greatest because, you know, one small data set says it was possibly effective. So I get the need for critical evaluation of large data sets before you're expanding it out to the masses. But that doesn't mean there's not an opportunity to make the things that we know are proven or that we have the data to show are proven more accessible to people in a way that they would expect for it to be. So it doesn't mean we have to change our principles, but it does mean we have to change our tactics. What stood out to me, which was really interesting with what you're doing with your platform, is how you're going about actually growing the awareness of it and getting it out into the in front of people who are interested. And so you're listening to the people's problem, but not only did you like create the platform, but you created value. And that's how more people are becoming aware of your platform is because they see it as a valuable resource. And because they see it as a valuable resource, it's more likely that people will adopt adopt it into their current lifestyle or whatever. And so 
Absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, we're kind of coming up towards the end of the podcast. We've talked about a lot of cool stuff relating to what you're doing in sexual health and entrepreneurship in general. But I kind of want to end on a little lighter exercise that I call the rapid fire round. So I'll just ask you a couple questions and then you just give me whatever answer you come up with. Okay. Perfect. All right. So question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Gone with the Wind. Okay. Who is the most <laughs> influential person in your life or career? Oh, my father, I would say. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, was, I thought you were going to say your husband. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, he's very influential for sure. But I think, you know, my dad gave me some really good some really good fundamentals, like to leave a place better than you found it. And, you know, I have a sort of relentless work ethic because of him. So yeah, I owe him a lot for sure. Awesome. Awesome. And so what is one goal that you want to accomplish this year? I have a lot of goals. I'm into setting goals, but definitely, you know, we um, have a lot of plans for the business and I want to continue to grow in my role as a leader and really understand what that means and how to take the trust that my team members have given me and really cultivate that and help them to get to the next stage in their lives and in their careers while also, you know, continuing to grow the company in terms of users, in terms of, you know, the ability to reach people in really meaningful ways. And most importantly, probably the ability to start conversations around women's sexual health. This is an area that has been so underserved forever. And even, you know, not even just underserved, but just really promoted in bad light. And it's time for it to to shine and to get the attention that it needs. So yeah, we are so excited and motivated by the work we do every day to work us closer to those goals for sure. Awesome. Awesome. And so last one, what advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Ah, I don't know. I mean, I just feel so lucky, honestly, and and fortunate to be doing what I'm doing. And I don't think that there's any misstep. I think that it would just be to you know, enjoy the ride. I'm, I tend to be very goal oriented and goal focused. And just recently in the past, maybe couple of years, have I even thought about smelling the roses and slowing down and enjoying the moment. And so it's much easier said than done, but maybe it's about just enjoying the ride and, and appreciating every day as the gift that it is. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I mean, that's all the questions that I have. Thanks for doing awesome. that. <laughs> um, so yeah, I Thank just want to say uh, thanks for hopping on. I definitely learned a lot about your journey just from going from healthcare, transitioning to technology and being an employee to an entrepreneur, just kind of the ups and downs that it comes with and how you're bringing awareness to uh, women's sexual health and just what you're doing in the health tech space. So um, I really want to thank you for uh, jumping on and sharing your knowledge. Oh, thanks Rodney for having me and thanks for what you're doing. No problem. Um, where can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and uh, Rosie? Yeah. So our website is meetrosie.com, M-E-E-T-R-O-S-Y.com. We're available in iTunes and Google Play in the App Store. So, and you can just search R-O-S-Y. And we have tons of great resources for education, for self-help, erotica, and also community around women's sexual health. So it's a wonderful resource if you're a woman who would like more help or if you're a partner who wants to learn more. And then you can follow us on Instagram at meet underscore Rosie and I'm Lindsay Harper, MD. And then I'd love to connect with everybody and hear what everybody's up to. So thanks so much. Awesome. Dr. Lindsay Harper, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. 
Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.